0: or myself john and my friend jeremy talk about a couple of movies around a the theme of our choosing that's right you heard correctly today we have uh guest host uh, mr jeremy hunt returning back from a previous episode from some time in the past jeremy how are you doing today
1: good man thank you so much for having me this is uh, gonna be fun
0: I agree, uh, for both the movies we're talking about today, uh, Chris is not going anywhere. He is absolutely the host of the show, but, uh, Chris is, uh, taking a well-deserved break to enjoy the madness of summer vacation with his family. So we will catch Chris up. And in fact, Chris and I, uh, this week, we're talking about a bonus episode that I needed to record, uh the second that I saw a particular movie. So there will be oh. a bonus episode coming up pretty soon. So well, <laughs> uh, as intrigued. soon as we can schedule ourselves to record it. Um, uh, when uh, when I reached out to you, Jeremy, to talk about uh, coming on this episode, uh, I'd like to give a, a, sh- a short introduction to what I like about Jeremy's taste in movies. And... <laughs> and Jeremy's opinions in movies is because I don't believe that you are contrarian in your, in your opinions. Mm-mm. And, and yet at the same time, you often find yourself in a position, uh, to, uh, you, you often find yourself enjoying movies that are often critically, uh, let's say derided. Um, <laughs> yeah. the first time you and I ever, you, the first time you and I ever podcasted together, we talked about the matrix sequels, mm-hmm. um, which I have, I've since in the years come around on a lot. Uh, I don't know if this, if our choice fits into this, but I know that at least one of our movies that we're going to talk about today, whether intentionally or coincidentally, lines up with that sort of um, what I've observed about your thoughts about movies. So, sure. for today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Karin Kusama, um, and I would like you to tell me a little bit about why you picked this director.
1: Sure. Um, probably, uh, largely in in fact, because of the, um, the second movie that we're going to be talking about, I'm, I'm a really big fan of this film. I saw it a few years back. Um, I don't know if I saw it when it first came out, but soon thereafter, you know, I got a copy of it on Blu-ray, watched it and was just immediately hooked. Um, and after that, uh, saw her the the film after that that she made destroyer with uh i think nicole kidman uh found that compelling and so i just i think that she's um there's something interesting that i find about her voice and her approach in terms of storytelling as a director uh she also has done at least a couple of like horror maybe one horror anthology segment from uh xx which is a horror anthology film uh, featuring only female directors. Um, So yeah, as we were talking about, about this uh, episode and about uh, possible directors and people to focus on, I just thought, man, the second film is so compelling to me. It's worth uh, diving into that to look at her other work as well, which is what led us to the first film, which is, I think what you were talking about in terms of my taste, more aligned with (laughs) something that is, um, you know, flawed, but interesting. And I think that's probably the quickest way I would sum up my approach to some of these films Um, that I am, I am, I'm fascinated by films that don't always work essentially, but that, where you can see something interesting kind of poking through the cracks, essentially.
0: What I find fascinating is that you had actually picked, uh, Karen Kusama as a topic for this episode, uh, on the strength of one of a particular movie that we'll be talking about today. But you actually, the, the other part, it actually just ends up being like the best coincidence because you had not actually seen it prior to, um, to picking it, uh, and it just so happens to be that it, it meets my definition of what I would call a Jeremy film. Uh yeah. <laughs> so, so why uh, so why don't we get into it? Let's talk yeah. about 2005's Eon Flux. So, Eon Flux, a, a movie which we definitely did not google the pronunciation of uh prior to this recording. Um <laughs> stars uh Charlize Theron uh as the titular character uh alongside uh uh Gladriel's boyfriend uh Martin Csokas uh uh and it this is based on a uh a cartoon that aired on MTV in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm going to play my uh, I'm from Canada card here and say that I had not ever had the opportunity to watch uh, the cartoon up to and including the present, where Mm. Jeremy tried to hook me up with the official uh, place to look at it and was told that it was not available in my country. Um, I thought this was supposed to be the land of the free. But that being said... Jeremy, either in the 90s or more recently, have you seen any of the cartoon that this is based on?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I'd probably seen a little bit of it when it was airing. I mean, to me it's a it's very stylized. It's weird. I mean, the first episode alone just drops you into the action with absolutely no explanation whatsoever. So you're you're just kind of trying to keep up um you know, Eon Flux as a character is there basically trying to um, disrupt things, but you don't know what she's trying to disrupt. Um, the uh, Who's the other, the main guy? Trevor Goodchild is there as a character, and this is another character that shows up in the film. They are antagonists of some sort, but you don't really know why. Uh, all kinds of weird outfits and costumes. I mean, Eon Flux is basically wearing like a leather string bikini, but like the top part is possibly armored and the bottom is not. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very, very um, feels like very much a product of, of its time essentially. And yeah, from a storytelling standpoint, essentially drops you in at the deep end of the pool and you're just left trying to figure out how, everything fits together or even just what the hell is happening. So I,
0: I guess I'll give the movie credit for following the footsteps of the show in that I really didn't have a clear understanding of why I was caring about any of this. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of business in this movie, like the lady who has hands for feet uh, mm-hmm. or the, the, this, um, the passing of in of information or not even information, the passing of possible pills through tongues that allow psychic communication. All of those things are details that are never explained. And I feel like I don't really care. Like it's, right. it's like I don't I don't need them to be explained. Right. Like I'm I'm fine with there's psychic business. That's totally cool. Right. Like yeah, I, and I don't have a, a problem with th- large chunks of how uh, any of the cool sci-fi shit happens in this in this world.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I would agree, and it, I I think for me, that's the part of this film, or those are the elements that to me, I would assume this is what you were thinking when you talked about this being a Jeremy film, like those are the aspects of it that to me are compelling. Like there, there are weird things. There's enough weird stuff in this that's creative and inventive that in a film that actually had time to breathe, better editing, storytelling, etc., would actually be like, Oh wow, this is really cool. Like the whole, um, there's a whole motif throughout the film about, um, tech as nature or nature as tech in terms of like flowers blooming and different things happening where it's not mechanic uh, uh, or mechanistic but it's, it's more natural and that that's uh, especially within the framework of a sci-fi that's really really interesting I mean I don't know I'm sure there are other sci-fi films that have done that so I'm not going to be like oh this is the only one but by and large i don't feel like that's something that you always see sort of embedded within sci-fi st- storytelling the idea that nature has either morphed with technology or almost evolved with technology to keep up with that sort with you know the sort of progression of like in the future it you know it looks like x like we have this floating dirigible blimp thing that carries everybody's you know, memories and essence. Um, so yeah, I think that to me that those are some of the things. And like you said, the passing of the pills and, uh, the psychic sort of like being summoned and given orders. Like th- there are those moments, you know, where it like transitions and it's almost like you're going inside someone's brain and like the, the fold between the division between like left and right hemisphere of the brain. Um, and that's where you see somehow them connecting with this, with, the uh, is it Francis McDormand's character? I I was absolutely floored that
0: Francis McDormand was in this movie. I was like, <laughs> boy, I I did not actually wreck at first. I thought it was actually Alice. I I think it's pronounced Crege It's the, sure. I thought it was the Borg Queen from Star Trek: First Contact. Yeah, that's who I thought it. Was. And then Heather was like, No, it's 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 Francis McDormand. I was like, oh, yeah. Shit. Yeah, yeah. The I I I agree that that stuff tends to be the most. Uh, the most compelling and I think that where I think I have the most problems and I, and we can, we can talk about, I think where this, like not just how this movie fails, but like why it failed, like what Mm -hmm. specifically happened to cause this film to fail Yeah, Uh, is, is I don't need, I don't necessarily need to know. Like, again, the smaller details are just fun. That's fun. Interesting business to like poke your head at and like sort of, um, to think to think about, but i I kind of the way that they do introduce the two sides of this story, mm-hmm. the the um the scientists in charge and the the rebels trying to overthrow their regime, the way that they set it up, I fundamentally don't understand why I care about the rebels' struggle. yeah, like they 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 set it up in a way that's like, I mean, for, I guess for context, the opening slide of the movie is sort of an explanation that a virus kills all but like 5 million people. They, uh, uh, the Trevor Goodchild, is that the name?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Trevor He's, Goodchild.
0: He, yeah. He comes up with a, uh, vaccine and is able to save the last 5 million people and they all live inside this one city. Right. That, 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 up at that part of the opening scrawl sounds like, well, this dude's pretty good. Yeah. He saved 5 million people. Yeah, he yeah. cured a virus. And then the next line is the rebel, the Mondicans or whatever have been trying to over, uh, they've been ruling for the 400 years and that the, the mondicans are trying to overthrow them. Right. I'm like, okay, well, why are you trying to overthrow the people who just created the cure for the vaccine? Right. And like, <laughs> there is some, like, they're like, they, they do talk, make references to like people disappearing, um, mm-hmm. and people having nightmares of their, uh, uh, that they can't explain. People are sad and and can't leave this, you know, nice city that they live in. But like, right. I found myself fundamentally un, uh, unmotivated. Yeah. To root for the good guys against the bad guys. Yeah. Um, whether you're talking about like The Matrix or like uh, the film that I think I most actually compare this to is Equilibrium with Christian Bale. That's mm, the one for me okay. that I. We're talking like, sort of, you know. B grade sci-fi dystopia kind of stuff. I have a right. real soft spot for equilibrium. And I feel like this oh, yeah. would be that would be of that sort if they had just been able to like put the connect the pieces just a little bit more. Right. Um like at the end, like when you find out, and again, this is a movie that is widely reviled and is almost 20 years old. So like spoilers, <laughs> I guess. Right. <laughs> but ultimately the the <clears throat> The, the big plot twist of the movie is that um, that the cure for the against the virus causes uh, caused uh, mass sterility. And mm. um, with no babies being born, uh, they basically just took to cloning the entire population uh, for the last few hundred years until they can find a cure right. <clears throat> yeah. sounds real bad but but again, like the part where you lied about it isn't good. But I'm not sitting here being like, there's an obvious better way to do it. Right. And uh the and when the brother of Trevor Goodchild uh plots his coup. Well, I guess the whole movie is about him plotting his coup to take over. Mm-hmm. He his position is that cloning is superior. Um yes. cloning yeah. instead of natural is the is the better way to go because he can be immortal. Yeah. Um but I don't understand that either. Yeah, like, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, because we learn at some point, and I forget when, but we learn at some point that, like, uh, Trevor Goodchild is still trying to find a cure. Like, he's – so the virus has been taken care of. But a uh, cure might not be the right word. He's trying to find a fix for humanity being sterile. And so yeah. he's – whereas – you're right. So that that's kind of the central conflict between the two brothers is one brother just doesn't care the other one still carries the burden of I helped cure the virus, but in doing so I essentially doomed humanity to possibly die out within, you know, a generation or whatever. And so, um, yeah, it's, you can, and and again, this is what's fascinating to me. You can see a, you can almost in watching this and putting all the pieces together, you can envision a, a movie where all of this is really compelling. Oh, absolutely. Where, you know, the characters are given, I think, and I think this is, this is what we, you know, sort of discovered in watching the film and then doing some research on the making of it. Um, You can see a a version or you can envision a, a version of this film where there is time given for the stakes to matter for the characters to take on full form and shape and for that emotional investment to kick in so that once the action happens and once things get rolling, you actually care about what you're watching. And I think, cause I think that's the biggest sort of flaw of this film in a lot of ways is it just starts and never stops. And you're like, there's one sense in which you're, you can say, all right, well, I'm just along for the ride. Like, like you said, sort of a b uh, b level sci-fi movie and you know whatever happens happens there are enough cool visuals and again enough you know fun little ideas sprinkled about that you can gain one level of enjoyment i suppose out of it but the sense there's also enough there on screen to just i just got the sense of like man there's there's so much missing here like there there has to be more to this which is you know then, what we discovered is we, uh, you know, we, we sort of dug into it and, and looked at, tried to understand the, the making of and the stuff that happened behind the scenes that led to this existing in the way that it exists.
0: The overriding theme for this episode is is Karin Kusama. And I, um, <clears throat> this is a movie that, uh, really set her career back for, uh, for, for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, in, in reading about the uh, there's a, there's a, I think there was a Buzzfeed article that I sent you mm-hmm. or a, an, a Buzzfeed interview with you or yeah. w- with her that I sent you <laughs> uh, where she sort of, it talks about her career um, sort of as a whole, but when it gets to the business about uh, when it gets to the business about Eon Flux, uh, it, it sounds like the, her vision for this was a, romantic thriller that really focused on the relationship between uh between eon flux and uh trevor goodchild and sort of the like repetitive eternal ongoing nature of it um with her citing like uh with her citing crouching tiger hidden dragon as sort of the like the sort of the main influence for it yeah um <clears throat> and that after turning in the movie, a regime change at the studio basically resulted in the film being hacked to bi- hacked to bits and uh turning into the movie the deeply flawed movie that we see here yeah um, yeah, yeah now i don't i i suspect that there probably isn't a uh i, I suspect that there probably is not a director's cut or equivalent kind of uh version of this movie that exists in a way that we could ever find Mm -hmm. um but i think that that like not just the bits of the movie that managed to make it in but also knowing sort of what the vision was it seems um imminently like like interesting
1: yeah well, yeah, and in that piece that you sent, I mean, the fact that she described it, or I think actually a detractor at the studio maybe even said, you've made like a multi-million dollar like, art house film. And she was like, yeah, that was the point. This is what we yeah, were doing. Yeah, going. correct, yes, <laughs> yes. and? <laughs> and it honestly, I found that, that, that whole piece, I mean, it was encouraging in parts, but specifically having to do with Eon Flux, just heartbreaking that you know she comes in with a certain amount of clout and uh, you know uh, hype, based on her her previous work, her her first film, *Girl Fight*, and I was even thinking about like, gosh, you're getting Charlize Theron like fresh off an Oscar win, I think, right for *Monster*? And I think so, yeah. Uh, just the fact that even with all of that working in their favor, that they essentially see what she has created. And take the film away from her. I think, like, if I remember correctly, I think the interview, she said she was either dismissed or was removed from the film. And they handed it over to, like, an in-house editor. Some, some other editor who then chopped it up. And And this is what's so crazy to me about part of the studio system is they saw the new edit. And they were like, oh, God, this is even worse. This is worse than what we had from you originally. Please come back and help us cobble something together. And it's just, ah, oh, I mean, to me, that's just heartbreaking that you know you you spend that amount of time and that amount of effort, and something. And I know this happens time and time again, but it, that it just gets taken from you and essentially trashed by people that haven't bought into the vision. Uh, are merely trying to churn out something that they can make their money back on um yeah i mean as we're talking about um you know for me one of the films that i always think of that i wish i could see the um sort of like the original vision on is event horizon like there's you know the rumors that you know there's you know the nightmare footage or whatever that exists uncut somewhere in some ways the more i learn about eon flux i'm like man i you know, where's the fan? Ca- I mean, unfortunately, I guess there probably won't ever be a fan campaign, but like this feels like a film that if there's sort of a maybe, maybe redemptive is too strong, but if there's a way to appreciate and understand this in some form or fashion, like it feels like, man, if there were a way to get that original cut. Um, maybe it would still be a flawed film but it's it just sounds like the intent behind it was so much more solid uh in terms of a storytelling approach than you know whatever it was that the studio ended up spitting out
0: yeah i think like because even like even small things like the um they talk about people like the 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 resistance has written the the, the mon, it is Mondicans, right? Mo- Monicans, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, or Monicans, yeah. So they rise up in, in, in opposition to the scientific council that's in charge. Um, and in oh boy, in the year of our Lord 2022, that sounds like some anti vax shit right there. Um, yeah. could not have ever been the attention, but that's just certainly th- that's just how it rings cur- currently. Um, but the they're talking about people ha- uh disappearing uh, from the streets, presumably at the government's hands and they're having, uh, nightmares that no one can explain. Um, the, I, th- I think what they're trying, I think what that, the dis- people disappearing thing actually is, is Trevor's brother disappearing. All of the test subjects who are becoming pregnant because yes, what he's realizing is that, uh, I think it's nature itself is, or, or or rather, somehow people have started to become able to be pregnant, mm-hmm. and uh, his, uh, and so that means that cloning isn't necessary anymore. Right. But the brother is disappearing. The folks who are part of these these test programs to figure out if that's possible, right. um, but the, those those two ideas are never of, like never officially connected and the way that the resist the the resistance sounds like it is a much longer spanning thing than one specific set of test subjects right yeah like if you you, you, with like the tiniest bit of rewriting you could just fix that problem yeah like it would just be so easy well um
1: well and that that theme of like how compelling is that to think that humanity's desire for immortality comes at the sacrifice of humanity actually being able to reproduce or then the trade-off is we can actually regain the ability to create life but in return we regain our own individual mor- mortality. I mean that's the that sort of... Uh, that sort of give and take that sort of, uh, idea is, I mean, could be profound in a, in a film. And you just, it, again, I'm assuming a testament to, you know, studio chopping block nonsense. You just don't really get that. It's, it's the sort of thing that you, you get up upon reflection afterwards, but it's, you know, you as the audience member, essentially it's sort of like picking up these pieces and saying like, oh this is this is an interesting thought. It's just not really explored at all in the film. It's put out there essentially as a plot point, and then things keep moving,
0: even for us who have who see where the vision was and where the the interesting bits around what still stayed in the film is. I can only imagine that that's like. That was however many years of Kasama's life, uh, and it was her name on it. Like yeah. I, that, the feeling. Kid, like I can only imagine that. That's a reason if she never wants to talk about that film. That's you know. Yeah. Who can blame her? Really.
1: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I said what I said about like, gosh, if it'd be if it'd be possible to get a director's cut or get access to that original footage. I would also never blame her like you were saying for never wanting to touch this again with a ten foot pole. I mean this this feels like a traumatic experience on the screen in that sense of just like the bait, you know, the, the what you were trying to birth and and bring to life was just chopped up to, to bits. Um yeah, and it, like I said, the 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 piece in particular that you found the interview where she touched on this, I mean it just like, my heart just sank reading it. Like, just, oh, what a gut punch to be given this opportunity and then to not be trusted with it.
0: What uh, Kusama should feel absolutely no amount of uh, trauma or shame or any amount of negative vibes is the absolute smashing success of the second film we'll be talking about today which is 2015's The Invitation. As mentioned before, The Invitation came out in 2015 and stars Logan Marshall-Green and a whole host of other folks uh, who play a group of uh, friends who haven't seen each other in a long time coming together for a dinner party um, at one of their friends' house. Uh, This is... uh, I mean, it's probably. I, this would be more. Would you ca- classify this more as a thriller or a horror movie?
1: Probably more of like a suspense thriller with horror aspects towards the end. I mean, when, once everything's kind of revealed, I feel yeah. like it tips a little bit over into horror, but it's 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 not like full on for sure. The I, I think that my and
0: we'll get into like specifics of. You know the the little bits and pieces that that work here, but I think that I remember the first time I watched this movie. Uh, what absolutely blew my mind was the length was the tension building throughout everything up until the last twenty minutes of the movie. Yes, like when I watch these kinds of movies, I expect there to be some amount of like you know, we're going to build up some amount of tension, suspense, Mm -hmm. but then you need to get to the action. And so you need to, uh, the, the monster has to appear. The, the Michael Myers has to do shit. Right. Right. And so you gotta get to the, you gotta get to the killing. Like you you gotta get to that. (laughs) And this movie, like this movie never, this movie is constantly telegraphing what it is going what is going to happen there's no point in this movie where you don't know where this is going um Mm. i feel like personally but they do such a really good job of constantly throwing you off yes and they delay that moment for so long that the the main character goes through a complete arc and th- uh, uh, in terms of what they're processing mm-hmm. and why they're here, they yeah. go through a whole complete arc and then the last 20 minutes of the movie pops off and shit goes down. Yeah. That is absolutely, and this is only a 90, or this is like a, what, a hundred minute movie? Like it yeah. is not a, it is not a long movie No, and it manages to go almost the entire running time before things start to really get insane.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a, uh, at the risk of, of, you know, hyperbole, I feel like it's a masterclass in storytelling and, and efficiency, just everything layers on what comes before everything builds on it. Um, little throwaway glances, little quick cuts, um, that undercut and that add to the tension. I mean, golly, this film is just, it's just superb. And I think it's to, you know, to draw upon the aspects of our discussion with or about Eon Flux. This to me is why the studio meddling with Eon Flux is so, um, Ultimately, so frustrated in retrospect because you see what she, what uh, Karen Kusama is capable of doing, given the freedom to do that. And that, that this was the other piece, sort of the follow up piece in that, you know, interview that we keep referencing, where after the experience of uh, Eon Flux and then her, I guess it was her third movie, Jennifer's Body, which came in between this, um, which was more successful, I guess, uh, but ultimately, um, the marketing was sort of out of her hands. And so it was marketed differently than what she intended. She basically, after those two experiences said, nope, if I'm going to make another film, I'm doing it my way from start to finish. It's in-house. Nobody's going to meddle with it and nobody's going to touch it. And you get something like this. And that, that to me is just like, give this, give this woman all the money, <laughs> give her all the freedom. Please. Like, like and and it makes it even more this. maddening that her filmography is so um, thin. Might not be the right word, but I mean, she. I think she has like five film credits, feature length film credits to her name. Now she has done other directing. Some um, again, like I said, she's done some anthology stuff. I think she's done some TV directing. But I look at someone like this, and I think w- just. Just give her give her a budget and give her the freedom and let her tell the stories that she wants because these are, I mean she is so good. her work in this film is magnificent. And um, yeah, just I, I will confess that when I first watched this, I did not, and I I think I went into it, maybe not fully blind, but close to it. Like, I think maybe I'd seen like an early preview. Um, I like uh, Logan Marshall green a lot as an actor. And so, um, but when I first watched this up to a point, I wondered if there was something wrong with him. Like there's enough there where I was like, is he off or is it the rest of the group? And I mean, obviously, you know, once you get to a certain point it becomes very very clear but there was enough about his character that felt damaged felt flawed traumatized that i thought man maybe maybe there is something off with this guy like so anyway
0: just well and i and i think something that this movie does like yeah a, a lot of the tension is is that sort of is that question around uh will who is the main character Mm -hmm. um his his experience of grief i guess we should probably just like give a quick a little bit more of a setup which is that the dinner party is uh is hosted by uh will the main character's uh ex-wife and her new husband Mm -hmm. um and it's this friend group that used to be very close and they sort of drifted apart over the years and uh the reason why uh the reason why will split up with his ex-wife was because they had lost their son in a tragic accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and she, ha- uh, she had met her new husband in the grief counseling group that she was in. Yep. Um, but they were like chill about it enough to be invited to this party. So, yeah. um, and she has seemingly moved on. Uh, mm-hmm. she's not burdened by this grief anymore, but, this movie is about will in his own process of grief and, uh, a lot of the paranoia that manifests for him in this movie, um, is uh, interpreted by his friends. And as you mentioned, sometimes the audience as he's, he's still stuck. He needs to, to move on. Yeah. And, uh, what I think the, uh, the magic trick of this movie is, is that it's actually both Mm. like he, he is both damaged because again, by the time up until the last 20 minutes of the movie, but right before everything pops off, he actually does come to accept that maybe moving on isn't, maybe moving on with my life. Isn't me abandoning my child. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's possible to move forward and not without the sense that like I've left my child in the past. And I'm going to forget about him. Like I can move forward. Right. And that is, and he does all of that again in, as the prelude to what most movies would have as like two thirds of the whole running time, which is all the shit, which is that spoiler alert. In fact, they have been invited to a suicide cult. Yeah, that is, that is exactly what they have been invited to. (laughs) And and that and and like from from minute one, when they first have the introductory video, someone's like, "This is a cult, yeah, like oh, this yeah. is not this is not people people aren't trying to hide the fact that they are talking about mm-hmm. like they' they're 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 not masking their intentions about well, I mean, obviously the suicide part there, but like right. they're they're inviting people to invite them to this the invitation, this new thing that they're into, mm-hmm. um, which is why. She is not burdened by, uh, burdened by her son's death anymore, is because she's you know found enlightenment in this in this group, mm-hmm. and there's a question and and p- people pretty early on identified as yeah this is a cult and no it's not a cult or it is a cult and the and like again fr- from that or like the I think for me the clearest and most unmistakable sign that things are going to go bad. Is the introduction of John Carroll Lynch. Yeah. Because because everyone else in this friend group, well, there's there's one there's one woman who's staying with the ex and her new husband who is seemingly not well. Yeah. But is yeah, you you can tell right away she something's off with her, but she's sort of off to the side and doesn't do much. But then John Carroll Lynch shows up as their friend. And he, like, you're thinking of, you know, young, sexy 30-year-olds who are in L.A. It's all very fit and trim, and they're gorgeous, and they're good-looking. Mm-hmm. And then into this f- very tight-knit, close friend group, they introduce Drew Carey's fictional brother. <laughs> and, and just who, with the most dead-eyed stare that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And he just comes in, and he's like, hi, yes, thank you. I'd like to talk to you about this. And I'm like, Oh. Yeah. He's about to murder people.
1: <laughs> you get the sense that he has simply like you said I think earlier ne- not he's he's never found a way to move on. He's he hasn't found a way to process. Um and then with that the 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 great sort of trick or technique of undercutting our own suspicions by saying by having a character say them out loud like oh it's a cult. Like that's what you, as an audience member, you're like, okay, it's either one of these things, like either Will is really messed up, or this is really weird culty shit that's happening. And so to have an uh to have basically an uh, kind of an audience surrogate in the cast say, oh y'all, this is weird, I'm not comfortable with this. And to even have a character leave, to have a character basically be like, great to see you guys again. You know, one of the friend group. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm going to leave. And they're like, okay, fine. You you go ahead. Even that sort of undercuts it a little bit to be like, okay, well, maybe it, it feels like one of those things where it's like, you know, my friends have found something that helps them with their grief. It might not work for me, but if it works for them, cool. And so there's enough of that sort of like woven in like in our face and literally given to us as an audience that it just helps, I think the, you know, reveal, like you said, like 20 minutes from the end. And when everything just, when shit hits the fan, you're like, oh my God, (laughs) Will was right all along. And here we go. (laughs) The, the,
0: you mentioned the, the friend leaving. I think that those are probably my two, favorite red herrings, so mm. to speak, because there's the, there's the reference to the, one of the friend's boyfriends, uh, who people are always asking about, like, where is he? Where is he? Yes. And he, they said that he never showed up, or whatever. And then finally, he does show, the boyfriend does show up.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just like, fuck, like, what? Like, or, and then the, and then the friend who, who leaves, <clears throat> this is actually, I wouldn't call it a complaint, but it is like the one, thing where they try and fake you out where I'm not hundred percent sure if they actually reveal their fate. But that friend you mentioned leaving the party. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, John Carroll Lynch goes to, he says, Oh, I'm parked behind you. I'm going to have to pull my car out first. And Will is spying on them as it's happening. Cause he thinks that this friend is going to get murdered. Right. And he pulls the car out. She pulls his car out or no he he pulls his car up first then she does mm-hmm. and then before she leaves he yells out to the house i'm just have to go or he he goes back to talk to her about something just sort of like right. some small thing and her car is just you can see the back end of the car mm-hmm. but you can she's just out of sight enough that he goes up to her and you have no idea you, you don't actually know. And you, it's never revealed if right. he murders her or if he actually just talks to her and let her go. He comes yeah. back and says that, you know, I apologized for making her uncomfortable or whatever. Yeah. But like <clears throat> that one friend leaving is the one time where it's like they, they don't ever actually resolve that for one way or the other.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's, and I'm, I'm guessing because of where it comes in the film, I'm assuming that the lack of, sort of finality with that character's fate is simply just another way to mess with both will and by extension, the audience of like, okay, we like, he's really, he's at this point, you're either on his side in terms of like the paranoia is real and they are out to get you. Or man, this guy is so paranoid based on his trauma and his grief that he can't even just let the friend leave and assume that everything is fine. So it just, it, yeah, it's a double-edged sword, and it's just kind of left there for us to grapple with until more comes to light.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk for a minute about Logan, like the the like the acting experience here. I specifically like Logan Marshall Green. Like, what a! If you were an actor and you get to do this movie, like, yeah. what an absolute! Like, I, I have to imagine that this is an absolute dream job in the sense. I don't know about like the working conditions, but just like the, the getting to have a movie like this on your resume where you get to showcase your skills yeah. uh to such an extent it is. um uh And you do get like, and there's like some small, fl- like there's a couple of flashback scenes here and there that mostly are used to like, you know, show him having flashbacks and grief and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But there are moments where you, in those scenes where you actually get to see like, him operating at like a more normal level also with the, with his ex-wife as well. Yeah. Who, who plays the whole movie as well up until the very end, but she plays the whole movie up as, as like fully, uh, Kool-Aid cult (laughs) lady. Yeah. Um, but in the flashback scenes, she gets to like, you get to see a different version of her. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Logan Marshall Green, what an absolute! I I don't. I think I've seen Upgrade, but I haven't really seen much of anything of the other stuff he's done. But like, he's really fucking good in this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's fantastic. I I, I'm trying to think, um, and I'm trying to look through. I guess the first thing I remember seeing him in was probably Prometheus, and you know, Prometheus is probably another example of these movies where we've talked about where. From the get-go, I loved it, and then it comes out. Because I saw, I think, an early screening because uh, at the time I was writing film reviews for an entertainment site. So I got access to that, I don't know, maybe a week beforehand before it came out. Saw it, absolutely loved it, and then it comes out and people are like, oh, this movie sucks. I was like, did we see the same film? Anyway, so I think that's the first time I saw him. And even in that film, where he is one of a you know cast of a whole slew, including – Ian Flux's very own (laughs) Charlie's Theron uh, Michael Fassbender Idris Elba I mean the whole cast of that is stacked and yet even there he sort of stood out to me and then yeah I guess the invitation was probably the second thing and Upgrade he's phenomenal in that Um, but this is there's a yeah you're right there's there's range here Um, his own self awareness that You know, maybe he's not healed. He's still a broken individual. Um, It's just great. I mean, even the opening scene, like the scene as they're driving to the house where a coyote like runs out in front of the car and they clip it. And he literally has to like put it down to put it out of its misery. Like the way he plays that scene is just, again, heart wrenching but also kind of creepy in a way. Like there's a, there's this, he does this neat trick of both being sympathetic as a character who's clearly suffered and continuing to suffer who's suffering and who has suffered. Um, But there's enough of a, something right below the surface where it almost feels like it can, I think it can be read as almost like there's a, a menacing quality to me. I think, I think there's a way that you can interpret some of his behavior as uh, that's probably more paranoia and fear, but it actually, it, it, it plays as menacing from time to time. And I think that's, that's an aspect of what he's doing in this film that to me is deeply fascinating.
0: And, and of course that, that bit at the beginning serves as an excellent bit of f- foreshadowing in and of itself. But then also when he tells the story and the ex's new husband says, no, obviously it was a mercy. Like you were, is an act of mercy. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're setting you up there. Yeah. I think, I think the only time where I actually th- wonder about, uh, where I feel the actual like threat and menace from him is, or, or, or rather the part that I feel the most connected to what you just said was ironically the part when they almost all drink the, uh, the, the, the poison at the end. Yeah. And one of them does, but, but he, right beforehand, he slaps the things out of everyone's like, after having had this breakthrough moment where he realizes he can move on with his life. Yes. Um, they, they bring him back in for the toast and he, you know, slaps the cups out of people's hands. He's like, "No, it's a poison." Like he go and that, and are he's like, "Oh, he's re- he's not. Maybe he actually hasn't fully figured this out and is going back to his old habits." But right. then you don't have time to dwell on that because that's when people start getting murdered. So, right. <laughs> uh-
1: <laughs> and that comes that scene comes right on the heels of him of one aspect of his paranoia being disproven, which is that boyfriend showing up. Because it's, it's, they're literally like minutes apart. And so, again, as an audience member, you're seeing one part of his paranoia being disproven. Like there was a legitimate reason why the boyfriend wasn't there. And then he shows up unharmed, blah, blah, blah. And so, but then the, it's within minutes after that, that, yeah, it's the, it's the Kool Aid, it's the wine, the poisoned wine, whatever that drink is. It's that scene. And even though he's, his paranoia has just been proven to be misplaced, there's still something there. There's still that splinter that's digging in where he's like, nope, I I trust my gut. There's something not right here. And that's the whole, yeah, slapping the glasses and, you know, getting in people's faces and yelling. And then that's the escalation. And, man, it's just... And it's only
0: because that's the time when that, like... I'm assuming they don't have a backup supply of poison. So <laughs> right. that's when he actually fucks up their plans that yes. the one, that the one lady starts freaking out and then you're just like, wait, what? And then, yeah. you know, and then guns start happening. So yeah. that part is, 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 it's, it's fun. It's good. It's, it's, it's efficient. Yeah. Just again, it's only 20 minutes. Like yeah. it, it, uh, it, it gives you a, it, it's well done enough and gives you a taste without like staying out. It's welcome. Yeah. Um, and then you end on the last shot, which is the probably like, again, in a masterclass of tension, this whole movie where you're just like, fuck, this is so like, this is white knuckle tension, this whole movie. Right. And right up until the point where things go down. And then the movie ends on a shot of the California Hills, where uh the you see a landscape that is entirely littered with these red lamps that uh are the the ex the new husband lights a red lamp Mm -hmm. um and at the time it's not remarked upon other than the will sees it uh but then when he sees all these red lamps popping up throughout the countryside after they finally figured out their own thing, and you hear the sounds of sirens, like mm-hmm. emer- like uh, ambulances, and gunshots going off, that you realize that this is not actually an isolated event, but that rather this is a huge coordination of crazy cult mass suicides all happening in, within this area at this one night. Yeah. Uh, that is, and that's how the movie ends.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And it's, and it's just brilliant and yeah it's you get that relief of like okay our main characters have survived they have miraculously in some ways managed to, to uh, overcome these odds and then yeah it's that shot of the Hollywood Hills and you're like oh shit like this is it's not just here it's like across the whole area and it's it's so it's so good it's like just it's such a fantastic moment
0: it's an absolute exclamation point of an ending like if you're going to end your movie you better fucking end your movie like that where it's like it's 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 so good it 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 absolutely when uh I had watched this years ago and when you said Karen Kusama, I looked up her filmography. It's like, Oh, she did the invitation. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Uh, no questions asked. We, we need to, uh, talk about this because this movie whips so much ass.
1: Yeah. It rules. It, 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 it does. And I mean, I don't necessarily want a sequel, but to go back to what I said earlier about like, just give her the freedom and the money. Like I want to see her make, Films that work on this level, whether, you know, whether it's a mystery film or whether it's a thriller, whether it's or hell, I mean, she's probably got a phenomenal action film in her that she, I mean, just the way the craftsmanship on display here from start to finish is just fantastic. And so that's when I say that about her, that's what I want to see more of is just that uh, at work. Um, because it's just so, so good.
0: On that particularly effusive note, uh, I'd like to move us into our film recommendations for this particular episode. Uh, I'd like to keep the, uh, Kusama uh, train a rolling by recommending her first film, uh, Girl Fight, um, with Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, this, um, something that we didn't talk about as much with uh, in these two episodes was her interest in, and this doesn't come up in the invitation, but her, like, if you talk about the themes of or common recurring occurring things in her movies is that they often have uh, female protagonists. And so where this, the reason I was able to watch a lot of these movies is because uh, my wife actually, has a bunch of her movies, uh, because her, her primary criteria for liking a movie is, is there a woman who kicks ass? And so that's how she had aon on flux. That's how she had girl fight. Um, girl fight is of course, some first movie and without the s- studio fuckery to basically <laughs> sabotage the project. Um, <clears throat> if we want to talk about another film of hers, that is, uh, that is like, really really good and uh a really well thought out uh character study um girl fight is just it's a it's a it's a really good movie and uh it's it speaks to uh i I like the story specifically of how uh, michelle rodriguez a not like not a regular actor at that time uh auditioned for the role and just through her own sheer physical presence uh, was able to basically win out the role over people who were more regularly actors at that time, Mm. just because of how, you know, how much of a presence she is and having a movie that can showcase her in that talent without just, just on her own without needing to have anything else associated with it. uh, It was really, it was really fascinating to see, as someone who mostly sees Michelle Rodriguez in the context of larger action type movies, which again is good and fine, but mm-hmm. this is her being that, but in, uh, but in a much different context, was really fascinating. Yeah. What absolutely. about yourself? Any any films you want to recommend for this episode?
1: Um, I will say keeping uh, the love and appreciation of Kusama going. I mentioned it earlier, but absolutely, if you if folks haven't seen it yet. Her most recent film, Destroyer, is fantastic. And again, strong female lead, Nicole Kidman. It's a... Uh, I don't know if true crime is, would be the right description, but it's, it's a crime uh, sort of mystery drama. Really well done. Uh, but ke- keeping more in line with the, um, the feel of The Invitation specifically... I would recommend um, a film from 2020 called The Rental. Uh, It's, and I don't want to give anything away, but sort of thriller, horror, suspense. Um, And I believe it's actually um, the actor Dave Franco. I believe it's his first film. So it's a, it's a, you know, um, first film from a guy that we know primarily from being on screen. Um, But it's, uh, two couples that basically go to a cabin sort of on an oceanside cliff, get away for the weekend, and um, similar themes maybe of paranoia, but based on relational trust or mistrust, and uh, and, and things go sideways. And, uh, yeah, it's just... I, I was surprised when I watched it... Um, Cause again, I th- sort of similar to the invitation. I think I had heard good things about it, but when I sat down to actually, you know, uh, watch it and, and take it in, I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is actually really, really well done. Kind of a, a smaller production. Um, maybe a little bit more of an indie film vibe, but, uh, from a storytelling and acting standpoint, it's, it's excellent.
0: I appreciate the recommendation. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming to hang out and chat uh, movies today. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you back. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm not sure of the count. I think this might be the fourth time we've done a podcast together. Possibly that sounds about uh, right. And uh, it's a it's a pleasure every time. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, any projects? Uh, any dissertations you want us to uh, to check out? <laughs>
1: Well, I, yeah, I am actually, uh, real close to wrapping up my, my PhD dissertation, which is incredibly exciting. And also I'm just ready to be done. I'm very tired, (laughs) but, uh, I think in about a little less than a month, I'll have official approval on it. Um, uh, as soon as I can, I'll be making it available. If anybody, I think it, it's going to be on a, um. Uh, sort of an academic site, but I'd be happy to share it with anybody that just wants me to shoot them a copy. But essentially, it's an exploration of noise rock as a genre uh, and then put in conversation with uh, uh, two or three different strains of theology and, and from there trying to develop essentially um, what a theology of noise rock might look like. What can we learn from the genre from the artists and the bands that participate in it. And what can that tell us about ways of, uh, understanding ourselves on a spiritual level and the kind of conversations that can open us up for, um, sort of with, uh, our communities and the world around us. So yeah, glad, glad that to be done. I,
0: I continue to be patiently and respectfully <laughs> Very excited uh, to read it when it's available. Um, And related
1: to that, I believe
0: you also have your own noise rock band.
1: I do, yeah. Koheleth, um, we put out our fourth album uh, last year, uh, Warmonger on um, Cruel Nature Records out of the UK, uh, and actually released at the same time a companion EP called Contaminator. So both of those are available and are, um, out there on Bandcamp, and, um, actually working on some, some other projects. Um, let's see, what should I say about it without giving away? Cause I, we always like to maintain a certain amount of mystery if possible so that people have the opportunity for discovery, not because we think that we're doing anything, uh, you know, this is not this is not a Sherlock Holmes novel over here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, essentially, if, if anybody has been following along with us as we've released things, uh, we decided to revisit um, some storytelling territory with our second album, Black Kite Broadcast. So that's what I'll say, that we have um, some releases coming out that will delve back into that world and uh, kind of flesh it out a little bit more. So... Um, more details on that to come still finishing up aspects of it, getting things lined up, but that will be out there on the rise and that'll, that, if anyone's curious or interested, um, all of that will be, um, coming out on our various, um, uh, Koheleth, uh, Twitter, Instagram. That's where we'll be sharing some of that info. So just follow along there. And if you're curious and that'll be uh, forthcoming when when we can get all our ducks in a row. <laughs>
0: And, uh, and in case no one knows how to spell Kohalath, I'll just throw some links in the show notes so you can, you can, you can start there and work your way around if needed. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's late. Uh, we have families to tend to and, uh, uh, poison to not drink. Yeah. I don't know. That was a, that was a terrible metaphor. (laughs) Uh, but it was a it was a whole bunch of fun uh we'll catch everyone next time chris will be back uh hopefully rested and sunburnt and uh we'll talk about something you folks take care